Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 19, 26. This Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people. And he has said that God's made with hands are no gods at all. This guy is in our pockets. And so he's trying to stir up his fellow craftsmen. And he's going to make it sound spiritual like it's not really about money. And he says, not only is there a danger that the trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. Can you see the passion of Demetrius? Come on, boys. Don't you see what's happening here? And you guys feel the silversmith. I think we need to have a demonstration. I think it's time to go out and yell a little bit about this apostle Paul. After all, he's threatening our goddess, go to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. He's saying gods made with hands are no gods at all. Well, let's see what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 5, look at verse 1. Now the Philistines, 1 Samuel 5, pretty far back in your Old Testament. 1 Samuel 5, 1. Now the Philistines took the ark of God, that's the ark of the covenant, And they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So now they've got the Ark of the Covenant, the famous, uh, you know, uh, golden chest with the angels on top where the law was kept and so forth. And the Philistines, 1 Samuel 5, 2, took the Ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now Dagon was the chief god of the Philistines. He was the weather and fertility god, verse 3. And when the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold... Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And this is where the commercial came from. Our God has fallen and he can't get up. You need to put one of those. I'm sorry, but you know what I'm saying. So, so they picked their God up again. Now he had fallen right in front of the ark. Kind of an interesting image, isn't it? Here, Dagon. Oh, we can't have this. So they, they put Dagon back on his pedestal again and they, they got their level out and they balanced him again. Okay, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Get a couple band-aids on Dagon, right? And so everything's good. Uh, just, just a side note. If you have to pick up your God because he can't get up on his own, you might want to switch gods. So when they arose early the next morning, verse 4, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon, he lost his head here, and (laughs) and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Dagon not only was bowing before the true God, but he lost his head and his hands. You see, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gods are going to fall in the presence of Jesus. And the question is, is he going to say to you, well done because you knew me and you were covered in the righteousness of my son, or are you going to be crushed before his presence? 
because you counted on Dagon or other gods. And so therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor all who entered Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. I think they got the wrong message here. It's not the threshold that's the problem. It's your God. You would have think it would have said there, and from that day forward, those in Ashdod switched their allegiance to the God of Israel. But that's not what they did. Six. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors. It could be boils here, both Ashdod and its territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw uh, that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is severe on us and on Dagon our God. Wow. I don't know if they glued Dagon together with an early form of crazy glue, put him back in place and said, you know, this isn't good for the career of our God. We need to move the ark on. You talk about people missing the clear message sometimes. The clear message was obvious that Dagon is not true and the true God is the God of Israel. Go back to the book of Acts. So the silversmiths have gathered and they're, they're going to do something and the great speech is now given by this Demetrius, this leader apparently of the silversmiths. And when they, they heard this, that things were in jeopardy, Acts 19.28, they were filled with rage. They were furious. They were enraged. And they began crying out and saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now this may have been the annual spring festival when the goddess was really proclaimed. And so there would have been a lot of activity, a lot of people looking to her. And so they went, uh, the city was filled with confusion. 29, Acts 19. And they rushed with one accord into the theater, uh, the picture that you see above, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So the speech got them fired up. There's probably all these people there and they grabbed a couple people they had seen with Paul and they dragged them and they would move from the harbor into the theater and then they would have this um, assembly led by the priests and they were probably just dragging them with them. There was probably thousands of people. Remember the the population of the city is probably 500,000 and at the festival, much bigger. So this city is jammed with people. All these people are in the streets. A lot of debauchery is going on. And uh, now these two Christian men, Paul's traveling partners, have been dragged along as well. And when Paul, look at verse 30, wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Now, you have to say this. Paul, are you crazy? They've got these people whipped up into a frenzy. They're all gathered in that theater, and you want to do what? What would you do? Would you run the other way? Would you get on a ship? (laughs) Sorry, I'll pray for you guys. I'll pray for you. Right? Yeah, from afar. I'll I'll be on the ship praying for you. But Paul wants to go into the theater. I think he sees it as an opportunity for evangelism, but it could have gotten him killed. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, two books to your right. This is the famous resurrection chapter. And here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about if the resurrection is true, then this is what we should do. If it's false, then go do something else. And here's what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 30. Basically, his argumentation has been if the resurrection is true, then why? And here's his next why. He says, why are we in danger, 1 Corinthians 15, 30, every hour? 
I protest, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives, 32, I fought with who? Wild beasts at Ephesus. Now remember, during the festival, people were typically drunk and you know, obviously intoxicated by this goddess and the worship of her, debauchery. And Paul says, I think he's probably referring to the theater incident. I think he's saying, if the resurrection isn't true, why in the world would I even think about going into that theater? If the dead don't rise, if Easter is just a nice little story that we go to church for and that's it, Paul says, then pity me, I should be the most pitied man on the planet. But now Christ, remember, is risen from the dead. You know, we're about to come up on a resurrection Sunday, and that's the declaration of Christianity. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Do you believe it? That's what Paul believed. That's why he did what he did. He said, I wouldn't have wrestled with these guys in this, in this uh, festival with all these crazy people. He says, what profit would it be for me if the dead are not raised? He says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, I'm not going into that theater. I'm not putting my life on the line. I'm not going throughout the Roman Empire to preach the gospel. Look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul says, look, the resurrection is true. That's why you take a stand. That's why you live a pure life back to the book of Acts. And so this crazy mob is gathered and Paul's trying to get into the theater and uh, people are stopping him. The disciples wouldn't let him. The city leaders, verse 31, some of the Asiarchs, which probably had to do, connected with the either the worship of the cult or maybe chief citizens here, some of the Asiarchs who were his friends of Paul said, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, 32, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. <laughs> that sounds like a mob mentality to you. Just yell something. I can't even tell what they're saying. Do you know why we're here? No, I don't know. Give me another beer. What's this about? I don't know. But there's a bunch of people in the theater painting their faces and all that stuff. And so confusion was reigning. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. I think the, the Jews who had not received Christ were trying to kind of disassociate themselves from Paul. And he motioned with his hand. Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from, uh, from them. And this was in unison, apparently. As they all shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, everybody. Great is, don't, don't say it. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, right? And for two hours they went on. And you say, that's crazy. That's wild. I, I, does stuff like that really happen? Yeah, in football stadiums, two hours before the game. Great is my team. Great is my team. Right? That's just pregame, folks. 
And so that's what they did. One scholar said the only thing that pagans can do in the face of the gospel is scream themselves themselves hoarse. And so they went on and on. They didn't want to let anybody talk. They just wanted to make sure that their goddess had her due. And after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis? There were great acoustics in this theater, so apparently everybody finally quieted down. And of the image which fell from heaven, hey, you guys, everybody knows our goddess is the one. Since then, these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of our temples. Hey, they haven't stolen the money that's in the, in the bank of Artemis. Nor blasphemy, blasphemers of our goddess. Amen. So, <laughs> it's all right. So then, if Demetrius and, all, and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring char- charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, 40, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affair. Since there is no real cause for it, and in the connection we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, I think everybody was tired of shouting that same shout. They dismissed the assembly and everyone went, okay, I didn't even know why I was here anyway, so let's just go home. Fine. I don't even know what this was about. (laughs) Sherwin White comments. He says, There's interesting evidence from this period which shows that the Romans were anxious to get rid of these democratic assemblies. The town clerk Prusa addressed his assembly in a remarkably similar fashion, warning his hearers about the drastic consequences of reports of unruly gatherings reaching the proconsul's ears. In other words, Rome had said, we don't want this kind of stuff going on. That was the motivation of the town clerk, to calm things down so it didn't get back to Rome. Now you say, Pastor Michael, where do we go with this story? Well, remember, we're dealing with Ephesus, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're done. And I want to close this message with a couple of thoughts about the gods falling in our lives. What gods need to fall in your life? Now remember, since the the church was established in Ephesus, there are two main addresses to the church at Ephesus. One is the book of Ephesians, written in about AD 62. And there Paul commends the love of the people in Ephesus. And he warns them in Ephesians 6 of a spiritual battle, and he says to them, put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the schemes of, of the devil. He wrote that to the church at Ephesus because they were dealing with all this witchcraft and sorcery. Here's the temple of Domitian. He ruled from about, I think, 80, uh, 81 on into the 90s. And the second address was written by John as Jesus addressed the seven churches of Asia Minor. One of them, the first one addressed is Ephesus and it's Revelation chapter 2. Here's what these people had to face. Domitian became the emperor, and he had a little bit of a pride thing going on. He wanted to be called God. As a matter of fact, he wanted to be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this is uh, in a museum in Turkey today. To give you some scale, 
The statue was 27 feet high. They positioned it at the edge of the harbor so that if you came to Ephesus and you were coming up on the harbor, you can see that the image of Domitian was up there. And Domitian went so far, he told his wife that she needed to worship him as a god as well. I know a lot of you husbands have been trying that for years. And anyway, <laughs> just kidding. So, so people would come up and they'd say, this city is all about Domitian. And people in the city, every year they had a festival. It was probably on Domitian's birthday. And they had to come by a certain Roman altar that they've discovered. And you had to say once a year that Domitian is God. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And so they found some ancient uh, pictures written in the marble. And then this next one is uh, probably dates back to the time of the Apostle Paul. You can see just faintly there's a fish, a cross, and a wheel. The wheel was the early symbol connected to the ichthus. It was a way that early Christians said that they belonged to Christ. And since the wheel was a common symbol, they did this to alert others that were being persecuted. I'm a Christian too, don't worry about it. And some of these uh, particular uh, drawings in the sand or, or in the marble, I should say, may have been the last thing that people did in Ephesus before they paid the ultimate price because they said, I will not say that Domitian is God. Now, these images, um, you can see they're Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Uh, these are the Greek letters that stand for that. They think there's a connection acrostically to the wheel as well. This is where the fish symbol comes from. And they found some ancient uh, things in the marble uh, by early Christians who were saying, Jesus is God. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. You don't want to know who King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is? Revelation 19 will tell you. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. Domitian's gone. His statue is broken in pieces, as you can see. <laughs> Jesus Christ reigns. And Jesus writes back to the church at Ephesus, final scripture, and he says these words. He says to the angel, Revelation 2.1, of the church in Ephesus, write, the angel may have been the lead pastor or elder. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, they represent the church, says this, Jesus walks among his church. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. He commends them. You have perseverance you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, can you imagine what these people faced at this time? John was probably banished to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote Revelation because he would not bow to the emperor. That's where he wrote this book, Revelation. And Jesus says to them, you haven't grown weary. I ask you, are you weary? What, what has made you weary this week that you would say, you know what, I don't know if I can be a Christian anymore. Threats of death? Somebody's saying to you, you got to call Domitian Lord or you die or pay with your life or you're out of, the, out of the city. But he says, but I have this against you. That you have, would you notice? You've left your first love. If you were to boil down Christianity and the whole idea of God's falling in our lives, 
when the Lord of the church walks through the church to assess how we're doing, when he addresses the lead elder or the angel, whether it's literal, literally an angel over the church or the lead elder, he says, I walk among you. I know what's going on. I know what you do well. I know you're strong on doctrine. I know you're, you're good at testing things and holding fast to that which is good. But I got one thing that I want you to know. You, you have left your first love. Wow. That tells you what Jesus, what really matters to him, doesn't it? He wants our heart. He doesn't want idols in there. And he writes back to this church at Ephesus and he says, look, you've left your first love. Literally, the word left means to send away or neglect. You say, well, what's the remedy, pastor? Does he just leave them there? No, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have what? Have you met somebody recently and you ask them, are you a Christian? They say, I used to be and I've fallen away. From what? If you fall away as a Christian, you have to ask yourself a question. From what did you fall away? And the truth is, you left your first love. You see, that's what Christ wants. Not just church attendance. He wants our heart. And he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. And this is written to the church. And repent. That means turn around. And it is tied to our behavior. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand, which gives light, remember, out of its place unless what? Unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, thank you for your word to us. We do want the gods to fall in our own personal walk in life. We want them to be burned up. We want to leave them behind. And we confess collectively that we struggle with this. This is a very contemporary issue. But we want you to be first. We want you to have our allegiance. We want to love you because you first loved us. So whatever gods need to fall with a small g into the fire, that we might be more authentic, that we might rise higher in our walk, whatever gods need to fall, let them fall, Lord. Let my heart be a place that is so committed to you that I do the deeds I did at first. Some of us who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we can move away and it's a slow, methodical move and we realize our hearts are far from you. There may be some people in here today and they, they're struggling with idols and man, it's, it's tough. I pray you'd be setting people free. I pray you would help us to repent if we need to and turn back to you and make you our first love. I think we have to do that several times a day and even all the week long, Lord. So we just thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that your loving kindness is better than life. Thank you that you don't give up on us. But you will challenge us to make our priorities right. And I pray that that would be the case. If you're not a Christian, turn to Christ. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Say it to him right now, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I don't want to go the way of the idols. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Father, for that 
fallen away Christian, help them to come back. If you've fallen away, cry out to them. Say, Lord, I want to come back. I don't want to have my influence affected by my sin. I don't want my light to go out or have it be under a bushel. Lord, I want it to shine. So this God needs to go. Say it to him. And he'll release you from that. He'll strengthen you. And Father, I just pray for every precious believer that's here today. Bless them. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Winding down a few months, now we'll be at Christmas time, and we're going to sing about love coming down grace coming into the world it's the message not everybody opens up their arms or their heart or their minds to receive it but for those who know christ he's the power of god the wisdom of god you can know that today you can have a new beginning a new start you can be a new creation in christ repent of your sin and receive jesus christ as your lord and your savior do it today do it now trust in him believe on him Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the idols in my life. I'm sorry that I tried to do everything my way without you, not acknowledging that you're the one that gave me all these gifts in the first place. I surrendered my life to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Jesus, I want to follow you. That's how you start, folks. That's how you start off the Christian journey. It's the best one. There's no other way, man. It's the only way to live, to be in communion with the God who made you, to be reconciled to him through the blood of his cross. This is Christianity. If you want to know more, if you've opened your heart, or if this program has been a blessing and encouragement to you, please reach out to us. We'd like to know uh, if we've been an encouragement to you. The way to get to us is livingtruthradio.org. Livingtruthradio.org. Send us a note. Let us know you're a radio listener. If you're a believer, how long you've been listening, where you live, what station you listen on. Um, If you can support us, we're not supported outside of donations, and most of the donations are coming from the congregation. We have some excellent opportunities for new radio stations in different states and more even prominent times, and we'd like to walk through those open doors, but it does take money. If you can help us out, send a donation today to Living Truth, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Request a a copy of my book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's a book that will help you with spiritual warfare, temptation, how to tap into the spiritual resources that God has given you, all of that and much, much more. Any donation to the Ministry of Living Truth Radio will send you a copy of the book. Just let us know whether you give electronically or whether you give by check. Uh, Say, I want a copy of Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up. Make sure you you say that on on what you send to us. You can give through the website, livingtruthradio.org, and you'll get to a donation area. Or send in a donation to Living Truth, 1009, Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God, Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880.